Hi guys, uh, Russell here, coming to you from the uh, great city of Bangalore. Um, and my uh, visit to India uh, has made me decide to sort of revisit my first post on India, which I did on January 4th of this year, um, and entitled What to Do About India. Uh, and I've uh, put a link in the post there. Uh, and what I was talking about on that one, uh, and it was, in, it was a sort of an extension of my uh, thesis of a, a movement away from pro pro-capital policies to pro-labor, which to me sort of naturally says you want to hold back rich people a little bit uh, and you want to build up, you know, the poor, if that makes sense. And so, you know, one of the things I was looking at was sort of net worth, the richest sort of 10 people in the world relative to the GDP or domestic GDP. Uh, now, this is, I reproduced that chart below from that date, January 4th. And one of the things I really took from it was at the time, uh, Guatam Adani, uh, who came in at third at sort of 120 billion relative to an Indian GDP of 3 trillion, really stood out as someone who was uh, excessively wealthy. Uh, and that, that without even, and then also, you know, lower down, you saw Ambani, uh, you know, 2.7% of GDP was also quite excessive. Uh, Bernard Arnault, who runs LVMH is probably even richer now, but he is really dealing off a much bigger GDP base. So he's, you know, he could, he could get even richer before that becomes a problem. But anyway, you know, I was just saying that this really struck me as odd. Uh, and then of course, for the, unless you've been living under a rock, a couple of weeks later, uh, Hindenburg Research came out with a report uh, and we saw the share price of a, a number of Adani Group uh, companies collapse. Um, and so what you can see is that, you know, if we look at something like Adani Power, which is a big part of that uh, group, the share price went absolutely bonkers in uh, 2022 um, and then has retraced a lot of it, but it's still up on where it was uh, at the beginning of 2022. And, you know, for me, what was also interesting is that the, the share price of uh, Adani Power was already coming down before, it, uh, before that report came out. Now, one thing you should be aware of, and this is touched on in the Hindenburg report, is that uh, liquidity is not as great as you would think in some of these companies. So it's very possible for flows to really drive quite heavily uh, big movements both up and down the stock. And you can see with Adani Power that had already happened before. You had big movements up and down. Um, now, you know, it's like, this is great. You know, I wrote a report saying, look, Adani looks overvalued, you know, it looks too rich. And the, and, the, and the price collapsed. Now, the reason I didn't do anything at the time or write a report, because I then went and read the Hindenburg report, and they were going, oh, look, the Adani's are really bad people because they uh, have lots of cross-ownership. Uh, it's a family-controlled conglomerate, so they keep all the mem all of the uh, business decisions are made by the family. They have Mauritius shell companies, which are used to maintain corporate control. There's probably some share price manipulation. Oh, and there's loads and loads of debt. Um, so for anyone who's actually ever invested in Indian equities, they'd be like, uh, oh, is this, is this a surprise? Did we not know this was the case? Uh, I must say, I was always reminded of the sort of scene from Casablanca. It was like, what? There's share price manipulation and debt and family control of an Indian corporates? Oh my God, I'm shocked. Shocked. This has never been happened before in Indian equities ever. Uh, not really. Uh, you know, anyone who has been uh, familiar with the Ambani's, and the stuff that's going on them, uh, other companies, Vedanta, whew, you know, the list goes on. Vodafone India, oh my goodness, the list goes on and on. 
It's just the nature of Indian equities and why it's dangerous. If you really want to be invested in Indian equities, I would suggest going out and find a very experienced manager who knows what they're doing. And even they will probably have problems from time to time. It's just the way it is. And, you know, the other thing about India, which I mentioned in the previous report, is the currency always is a problem of India. Uh, It tends to devalue, which really sort of acts as a, a drag on returns. The best returns from Indian equities came sort of in the real emerging market boom from 2000 to around 2007, 8, when the dollar was very weak. So that would probably be the only thing I would be like, if the dollar really weakens, uh, maybe get a huge boost to emerging market uh, equities in general. Uh, and that is probably the, the one single thing that perhaps could really uh, be a game changer for India. Uh, but you know it doesn't it doesn't particularly fit in very well with my idea of a shift from uh, pro capital to pro labor, uh, you know, and which is originally what I wrote about was saying that there's just too much of a wealth inequality in India to make equity investing there look look safe. Um, and you know, for me, having been away from Bangalore for ten years, I know it's only one city in India, uh, but it's, a, it's an important one and one of the more developed cities in India. Uh, I am still struck at the big differences between India and China. Now, I was uh, knocking about in southern China in 1998. And back in 1998, the Chinese government knew where they were going, what they wanted to do, and they massively overbuilt an infrastructure. So what you got was these massively empty highways, massively empty ports, and, you know, but they were fantastic. Uh, And, you know, you could really drive. You go to airports, size of Heathrow, and only three scheduled flights. And you think, oh my God, there's a debt crisis coming. But actually what happened was eventually all those highways and all those airports did fill up. They built in advance. But what you know, really what I took from that period was the public assets were world-class, but in China at that time, private assets were pretty awful. You go to some town and you go stay at the best hotel and it wasn't that great, to be honest with you. Food wasn't that great. You just didn't live that well. Rich people didn't live that well. So you had this sort of Public assets were high quality, private assets were very poor. In India, I really get the opposite of that. In India, even though they've improved the infrastructure quite a lot from 10 years ago, it's still not enough, right? You still find, I still find public assets in India are still relatively low quality, but private assets in India are phenomenal. Uh, you know, in India, you can go find world-class hotels, world-class shopping malls, world-class uh, sports teams. I mean, the IPL is a fantastic, uh, a fantastic franchise. And so, you know, when I think about this, you know, I think the comparison for India is not really China. They're not really that similar. A better comparison for me may well be Malaysia. Uh, they have, both have uh, used English as a sort of lingua franca, uh, language of business. Uh, they also have very diverse populations, uh, very, very diverse populations, and sometimes difficult relationships with neighbors. Uh, Malaysia has a very difficult, strange relationships with both Singapore and Thailand, um, and also with China and India as well. Uh, so, you, you know, and that is very much similar to India, it has difficult relationships with Pakistan, uh, China, Bangladesh to a degree. Uh, and so, so to me, so India probably feels like a better comparison is Malaysia. Now, for non-emerging market investors out there, you'd be going, Hmm, Malaysia. I haven't heard anything about Malaysia for a long time. And there is a very good reason for that. Malaysia has been the worst value trap you could possibly ever find. Uh, I stick up the uh, Malaysia ETF, uh, MSCI uh, Malaysia ETF. Malaysian Ringgit has also been a relatively poor currency over that time. And it's not a perfect comparison. India has some 
amazing companies, uh, you know, and slightly better demographics, but it's not a, it's not a terrible comparison either. In no way, Malaysia does have an uncomfortably close business government relationship, which we also see in India, and you know, there's I think it's a relatively close trade. The one thing I will say uh, and being reminded on this trip is that I mean I hope I'm wrong. I'm hope I'm wrong. I hope India does gangbusters and does really well, and this is like the breakout for India. Uh, but having come here, I've been reminded that if you really think India is going to do gangbusters, gold probably will also do well, and also all commodities really. And so from that perspective, it just sort of reinforces that I, I still quite like my long GLD, short TLT trade. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please look at some other posts where I talk about that and you'll see it for yourself. Um, so anyway, that's so far what I've been you know, thinking about and seeing on my India trip. I'll be back uh, in London soon and you'll get to see my pretty face uh, uh, with a bit of a suntan. Um, other than that, I hope you're all well. Stay safe and we'll talk soon. Ciao.